Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Okay, we took a little bit of time off, and we're back to our Football by Numbers series. Jersey number 58, and the guys from Hello Old Sports, Dan and Andrew Newman, are here to join me, and we are going to have a great time talking 58s and my favorite players in there. See if you can guess who that one is, all coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we are podcasting from America's North Shore, bringing you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So in taking the snap from the SportsHistoryNetwork.com and handing off to PigskinDispatch.com, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com, and welcome once again to a special edition of the Pigpen as we go through our Football by Numbers series, Jersey number 58. And we have the Newman brothers with us once again, Dan and Andrew, and they are here to go over Jersey 58 with us and try to come up with a top 10 between the three of us of the greatest players ever to wear that Jersey number. Uh, Dan and Andrew Newman, welcome once again to the Pigpen. Thank you very much for having us again. Um, We're making it uh at least for me it seems like we're making it a little bit of a habit the last time it was i went from 19 to 51 and now we're only going up seven from 51 to 58 so still kind of in the same wheelhouse that's that's right and i think we have uh 64 coming up if i'm not mistaken i know it's one of the the mid 60 numbers so you're two are becoming quite the regulars on here so that's great everybody enjoys it it is 64 because that was Andrew's high school number. So he was uh, very happy when I told him that that was the one that I had signed up for in the 60s. Oh, nice. Nice. So maybe Andrew will show up on that list. You never know. <laughs> Junior high, high school, really all tackle football. I wore that number. So. Hey, hey, you never know. You might, might have been that good. You never know. <laughs> well, I guess we need to start off sort of uh, where we normally do, and that's what the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, tells us. And uh, as a matter of fact, Dan and I had the opportunity to meet at the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, this past weekend at uh, a Professional Football Researchers Association convention, and that was interesting. It was great to to meet Dan in person for the first time, but to be with all that uh, great legendary um, uh, memorabilia and just uh, you could feel sort of an aura at the Pro Football Hall of fame and i don't know uh, if you felt that same thing dan but it was great to be with all the guys and be around all that, that great history yeah it was it was great kind of on three fronts first i mean i had actually my wife and i had planned a trip to go to the hall of fame we we hadn't been in like seven or eight years and we planned a trip to go and then we'd already planned that trip when i decided to go to the convention so i'd actually just been there a month ago but number one it was nice to be at the hall of fame number two it was nice to really hear from some guys who really um really are really into um, football history and know a lot more about it even than than I do. And three, it was also just kind of nice to just be in a room with a bunch of people. And you just kind of like about halfway through, I think on like Saturday afternoon sitting at one of the talks, I'm like, God, I, this just feels normal. I haven't, you know, 
I haven't even thought for a second that I shouldn't be near these people or that I should have a mask on. And it was just, it was just really, really nice. So, so that part of it um, was really nice as well. So I definitely, definitely enjoyed it uh, on all, on all fronts and got to meet a couple of a uh, couple of our fellow sports history network podcasters, which was also great. Yeah, I believe uh, Arnie Chapman is going to be putting that uh, photo up. There's four of us uh, from the Sports History Network there. Uh, Dan, myself, uh, Joe Ziemba, who's a regular on this program, and um, uh, Tommy Phillips, who does the uh, Lombardi Memories uh, podcast. So, you know, great, great to see that. Maybe next time we, we can get uh, Andrew at, at one of these, too. We'll get to, to see him and get him in the picture. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I also should note, um, and I'm, I'll probably tell this story on the next one, the time we record our podcasts, I made a new friend. I mean, I made a, a, a bunch of new friends, but I made a friend who lives only two blocks from me and that I just happened to be seated at the same table as. And I was talking to somebody else. Uh, we were talking about sports, and I mentioned how in D.C., Nationals fans only always leave games early, regardless of how close the game is. And there was this gentleman who said, you know, this guy, Mike, uh, Mike Barksdale is his name. And he said, where do you live in D.C.? And I said, you know, I told him and I, I didn't know that he'd know. He's like, no, I, I live near you. He said, I live really near you. I live two blocks from you. <laughs> so <laughs> we haven't had a chance to connect yet, but I'm sure that I'm sure that we will at some point. So it was, yeah, it was a good, uh, highly recommended for those who, uh, who are on the fence about, it. I guess the next one's going to be in 2023 at a, as yet to be determined location. But um, I hopefully, uh, hopefully it works out for me to, you know, the, the, the location and, and everything works out for me to be able to go again. Yeah, I look forward to it, too. And I met a lot of new people, met a lot of old friends that I'd never met in person like, like you, Dan. And uh, it was a great time and uh, great uh, being around everybody, just talking a little bit of football for the day. And uh, we, we actually had some uh, former players on a panel on uh, Saturday. Uh, we had Bob Vogel. um trying to think who the quarterback was from Cleveland that was there. His, name His last name was Miller. I don't remember his uh that's that's full, right. I think it was Mark Miller, maybe he, Mark he only Miller. played a couple years in the pros. I think only two years for the Browns or something like that. Yeah, and then uh, Roger Duffy, who was a, a lineman that played for the Jets and the Steelers in the I believe the nineties, I believe. So yeah, it's interesting the one, to hear. The one thing I, I thought that was funny about Roger Duffy is that there was so very little negativity during the whole weekend. But at one point he was just running through his Jets career and he just goes, and then we had Co Titan. I don't know what they were doing there, <laughs> which, I was, which I thought was good. Yeah. And the one guy kind of drilled him on that. I think it was a Cotite fan there and sort of like went through Cotite's history and <laughs> Roger sort of backed off a little bit. It was interesting. It was fun. Absolutely. Especially hearing some of uh, Vogel's uh, stories of the late 1960s, early 70s Colts and uh, some of his mm-hmm. teammates. Very, very interesting. Very passionate. All three of them. Yes. Great speakers. Uh, George Bazika was the organizer that uh, whole weekend and he did an absolutely fantastic job. So, you know, hats off to George Bazika. Well, I guess that was our segue into the pro football hall of fame, but they chose uh, three players that wore the number 58 uh, that we can sort of use as a basis for our, our start here to at least talk about. And those three players that wore 58 and that are in the pro football hall of fame are Jack Lambert, Derek Thomas, and Max Speedy. Uh, I don't know if we want to start with with those guys and uh, go from there. Yeah, so I feel like this is a, an interesting one because 
the the few of these uh, number top tens I've done so far with you, there's been a few guys who maybe wore the number for a year or two years. It seems like with 58 specifically for, you know, whatever reason, whether it's coincidental, which I'm sure it is, basically every guy here, we don't have to – we can just evaluate on their career and not, yeah, but they only wore the number for two years or three years or whatever. It seems like pretty consistently, you know, everybody we're going to probably discuss tonight wore that number for either the majority or the entirety of their career. And I think that Thomas and Lambert are, I mean, I guess we, Max Speedy is an interesting character, but Th- Thomas and Lambert, I, I know that Lambert made the all NFL 100th anniversary team. I don't think Thomas did, but he, he's close. And the, you talk about best linebackers, best outside linebackers of all time. Lambert and Thomas are probably two of the top, I don't know, five, six, whatever. So yeah, those are both no brainers. I, I guess I might put a slight preference for Lambert over Thomas, but it's, it's one a and one B. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And I'm a little biased because Jack Lambert is one of my, you know, childhood uh, heroes, you know, being a Steelers fan. And I I have his 1976 Jersey, uh, everything. So I'm, I'm a big uh, fan boy of Jack Lambert and I I just loved him. He was a, he was a, a great player. Uh, you see some of the old uh, clips on the NFL where, you know, some, especially I think it was a Super Bowl 13 against the Cowboys where the Cowboys were pretty harsh on Bradshaw the whole week uh, in the media. And then somebody, I think Hollywood Henderson uh, did a, a sort of a cheap shot on Bradshaw during play. And it really fired up Lambert. And you have the one play where he, he tackles somebody on the Cowboys offense. He stands over there and he stands over him and says, you know, I, I think that'll cool your jets or something to that effect. You know, it's just the kind of place with that toothless grin that uh, really, really gets me fired. I love the way he played and just uh, was really a fun guy to watch play. And the funny, th- the funny thing about Lambert is that, you know, with the missing teeth and everything. And then when you hear him talk, off the field he's kind of soft-spoken and almost studious so he he doesn't necessarily have the personality that you would think if you just saw him on the field yeah and he played really light for a linebacker even back in the 70s I I mean he was only like uh, 230 pounds or something like that you know but he was tall and uh, he I got to meet him you know long after he retired he became a, a fish and game commission warden in Pennsylvania. And I think he just recently retired from that position, but he was up here uh, up by Lake Erie. We have quite a few fishing shows and I was going through one of them and he was sitting there at the table, like demonstrating some kind of, uh, I don't know what it was like uh, stuffing a fish or something. And uh, he, uh, I, I recognized him. And I, I, so I asked him, I said, you, and he lost all kinds of weight. was very slender, very tall. And he said, yeah, he goes, but kid, he goes, don't, don't tell anybody who I am. I don't want the attention. You know, so he's kind Jeez. of a humble guy and didn't really want to talk to him, but he gave me his autograph and shook my hand. And I said, that's good enough for me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so did we all have him at number one? Um, you know, I think it's, it, I don't think anybody would seriously consider anybody besides Thomas. Um, to me, I, I did have Lambert one, you know, obviously the, the Super Bowls and being a big part of one of the greatest dynasties in NFL history. 
And then on top of that, you know, he was a six-time first-team All-Pro, which was twice the amount that Thomas was. A couple more second-team All-Pros twice. Um, so I, I just thought that as great as Derek Thomas was, and we'll talk about him in a minute, I had to give the nod, even probably even without factoring the, in the team success, but definitely once you factor in the overall team success, I, I had to give it to Lambert. Actually, you know, it was close, but not super close. I, I thought Lambert won it by a decent amount of daylight there. Yeah, I guess I kind of felt the same way. It's so hard with defensive players, and I noticed this more even than when we did 51. It's so hard to compare defensive players sort of pre-1980 once they stopped, once they, you know, until they started keeping stats of sacks and tackles and everything because you can really only go on two things. You can go on winning and you can go on reputation, among either peers or those who played with the guy. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you, Andrew. I, I maybe had it a little bit closer, but, yeah, Lambert Lambert gets it by, you know, he gets it by a full length. I, I agree with both you guys. I mean, like I said, I'm biased, though. But it's hard to do even linebackers of even the same era. These guys were from a little bit different eras uh, because, you know, whether they played in a 4-3 or 3-4, you know, a Bears defense, you know, it's, it's hard to compare them because they have different roles as a middle linebacker depending on what scheme that they're, they're running. So that, that makes a difference too. You know, are they forced into pass coverage? Are they blitzing? Are they, you know, just a run stuffer? So that, that's, uh, that all comes into effect and play in there, but – just, uh, you know, both both Lambert and Thomas, you know, excellent players that, uh, you know, I, I would put on my team any day if I was putting together an NFL team and could take anybody from any era. And I guess I'm just uh, pulling up Derek Thomas's rookie year because the one thing, it, you know, we t- I think justifiably we say, okay, these guys were in different eras and they, you know, their heydays certainly were, but there was actually only – you know, Jack Lambert's last year in the NFL was 1984. Derek Thomas's rookie year was 1989. So they only actually missed each other by a couple of years, as weird as that is to think about. Um, you know, they, it was, yeah, Derek Thomas was in like a senior in high school or in college when Jack Lambert was uh, finishing up his career at Pittsburgh. And Chuck Knoll has always said that his biggest regret in coaching was that he stuck with some of those seventies guys for way too long into the eighties. And I think that Lambert and Terry Bradshaw are probably the two biggest examples of that. So not so I didn't know that Lambert had played until 84, but not, not surprising that he was there for that long. Yeah. He, he had some problems. He had bouts with turf toe for much of those last like two or three years that he played. So he, even though he was on the field, he was just sort of a, a shadow of himself that he was, uh, you know, like 1975, 1976, 1977. Uh, but, you know, still was good enough, I guess, to be on the field. But, yeah, Noel's probably right in that respect. But it's hard to, to sit legends down, you know, that just uh, won you four Super Bowl rings. Absolutely. Too, so. Well, let, let's uh, – I mean, do we have anything more to say about these two or other than we were both putting both of them on our list? Yeah, I guess I would just mention with Derek Thomas, um, he is also has the NFL record for sacks in a single game uh, with seven. Now, obviously, sacks only started being recorded in 1982, but even at this point, that's 40 years. That's not a small sample size. Um, you know, I remember actually just watched a few weeks ago the 
2007 game when OCU Minora with the Giants got six against the Eagles. And I think he got the sixth one fairly late in the game. So there wasn't much chance. Well, I mean, there was some chance he would get seven, but that was like the first I'd heard that, oh yeah, wow, Derek Thomas has the record for that. So, you know, just figured that's worth pointing out. And I mean, if you're not going to give him number one, he's obviously number two by a good amount. So it's not like we have to sell him too much, but um, just figured I would, I would throw that in as a complete uh, for the complete record of Derek Thomas. And I just looked at his stats. He led the league in forced fumbles twice, once with six and once with eight. And that's one of those stats where I don't necessarily know. I got to know what the all time record is for forced fumbles in a season, but eight's pretty good. That's every other game. So that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I I forgot about that six sack game. You're you're right. That uh, that even amplifies his career even a little bit more. And uh, yeah, d- definitely a, a great player, and uh, d- definitely deserving of being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as he is. So yeah, thanks for pointing that out. So okay, so we have we're gonna put those two in. Those are our first two of our ten, and uh, we our third Hall of Famer is Mac Speedy. Uh, who would like to talk about Mac? I can talk a little bit about him. I He's one of those guys that I've just kind of had my eye, and he's just got into the Hall of Fame last year. The NFL did this thing where, and, and you guys know this, obviously, and most people listening probably know it too. The NFL did this thing where for 2020, they they sort of, in addition to their normal election process, they went sort of back throughout the whole history of the NFL and inducted a bunch of guys. I think there were like 20 guys and a bunch of – a bunch of these guys from like the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s that hadn't, you know, that had never missed, um, you know, that had always missed their opportunity. You know, Alex Karras is another guy that comes to mind. And Max Speedy was a guy that I was hoping to get in. I, I read a really good book about 10 years ago about those Browns dynasties of the 40s and 50s. And to the extent that you know a receiver from those teams, most people know Dante Lavelli, who's been in the Hall of Fame for a long time, played on, played longer than Speedy. Speedy had a really interesting career. First of all, in both 47 and 49 with the Browns, he led the AAFC in rushing yards uh, with, with over a thousand yards, which was pretty good for a receiver in those days. And he had, I think it was, and I didn't, I'm trying to remember the details of this, but I think he had a contract dispute with Paul Brown in the early fifties and then went and played, played, played a couple years in Canada after he left the NFL. So he was only actually in the league, actually in two leagues, the AAFC and then the the NFL for, I think it was seven years, 46 to 52. Yeah, that'd be seven years. So, but a guy who they often talked about when he played was one of the better receivers, one of the best receivers in the league. He was an all pro three years in a row in the AAFC, made a couple of pro bowls. Like I said, led the league in receiving yards. So, a belated Hall of Famer and possibly, I don't know, I don't want to get too far ahead of this, probably going to be one of the only non-linebackers on the list. So if we're ranking, I didn't have him third. I actually had him fourth. But, yeah, he definitely, he belongs, no question. He's got a really interesting story. Yeah, I I can't pretend I knew too much about him before this. Um, I also had him... Fourth on the list, I mean, you know, it's very hard to compare receivers or ends from that era to 
even 10 to 15 years later, let alone 30, 40, 50 years later. Um, but, you know, you're sort of left with comparing the eras they played in and from what you can see here and the team he was on, certainly, like I said, my brother would know more than I would, but um, hard to deny that in the era he was in, again, where passing was a much, much less focal part of the game, he was one of the top uh, ends or, you know, whatever you want to call him in football during that era. Yeah. I mean, just going a little bit, what Dan was saying with that, you know, he had those 2000 yard seasons out of seven, but he had four of those seven seasons where he was over 800 yards. And, you know, this is the late 1940s, early fifties where passing was nowhere near as prevalent as today. You know, it was a lot of, uh, you know, two yards and a cloud of dust uh, being played in the NFL back in that era, even in the AAFC. And, and when they, the Browns joined the NFL for his last uh, three seasons, which and by the way, there was five championships in those seven years for him also. So, and I think he played in uh, one or two other championship games that maybe they, they lost in 51. They were in the so, title game every year from 46 to 55. So he was in the title game oh, okay. every year that he played. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought maybe that like 51 or 52, they missed it, but okay. That, that, that's amazing that uh, mm-hmm. to be on some teams like that. And that's a testament to not only speedy who has maybe one of the greatest football names ever, especially uh, for a receiver. But, Right, right. And very apropos. And uh, but, you know, just the Paul Brown and, you know, Otto Graham and all the rest of the great players uh, that played in those those great Browns teams uh, of their first uh, decade in uh, football. And this is obviously hard to quantify, not, you know, having much surviving footage and definitely no you know, firsthand accounts of it, but I would assume being an end in that era. Yeah, you caught some balls, but a big part of your you know responsibility out there was blocking you know especially sealing the edge and you no matter how good a pass catcher you were if you couldn't do at least a serviceable job of blocking out there you wouldn't be out there so again I can't say I know anything about that but I am sure he was at least a decent to good blocker to be on those teams for as long as he was pass catching ability aside yeah, I, I think most definitely because, you know, Paul Brown, you know, as much of an innovator as he was, he had some definitely had some great running backs that played for him. You know, I don't believe uh, Speedy would have played with Jim Brown, but uh, he may have uh, with like Leroy Kelly, I believe. So Motley was probably the big one yeah. or Motley. Yeah, Motley, too. Yeah. Forgot about him. So, yeah, most definitely they, they had a running game. And so you had to take somebody out with your blocking skills. So. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. The uh, speedy needs to be on that list, and he's definitely a top five material. So, okay. Uh, well, where do we want to move next? Uh, you guys both had him ranked at four. Who, who by chance did you have ranked at number three? Dan, did you want to go or do you want me to go? Why don't you go ahead and I'll see if we had the same guy. I had Von Miller. Me too. Um, you know, Von Miller will forever be famous for being – the MVP of Super Bowl 50, I believe it was 50. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly anytime they're giving it to, and I'm, I'm not putting him here just based on the Super Bowl, but winning a Super Bowl MVP puts you in rare air. Doing it as a non-quarterback puts you in even rarer air. And then doing it as a defensive player, you know, you. I'm guessing you can count those on less than two hands, maybe only one. Um 
you know, was absolutely dominant in that game, had a th- was a three-time first-team All-Pro, um, and people don't really remember, or they remember, but they are gradually forgetting that the Denver Broncos, that, that year specifically, that was the defense that carried them. Manning struggled for quite a bit of the year. He was out of the starting lineup for a lot of the year, and it was the defense, and particularly as the playoffs wore on and then the Super Bowl against Cam Newton, who was a MVP of the league that year. The Panthers were a juggernaut, and, you know, Miller was basically lining up in their backfield the whole game, sealed the game late, um, and it's not like he was just a one-night wonder. He was one of the best players in football before that. He was one of the best players in football after that. So I think, you know, his whole career puts him on this list. That performance in the Super Bowl shoots him high up on the list. And just to put a little bit more of a point on that Super Bowl performance, you're right, Andrew. Defensive players don't tend to win a Super Bowl MVP all that often. And when they do win it, a lot of times it's defensive backs and mm-hmm. not that intercepting a pass in the Super Bowl or intercepting multiple passes in the Super Bowl isn't an impressive feat, but there is a degree of, of luck to the whole thing where, you know, the, sometimes the quarterback makes a bad throw or you kind of end up with the ball. You know, if you look at the names of some of the defensive backs that have won Super Bowl MVPs, whether it's you know, Dexter Jackson or Larry Brown, these are not guys who really, you know, in some cases weren't even starters for very long in the league. Miller's performance, the only other one I can think of sort of in, you know, at least in in my memory is Richard Dent in Super Bowl 20, where it was only, it was about their actual defensive performance, tackling, sacking. Miller had two and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, and two quarterback hurries. That's a pretty damn good game against, um, against a mobile quarterback in Cam Newton in the Super Bowl. So that's a really good performance by a really good player. And like Andrew said, year in, year out, double-digit sacks. He's probably, from from what I can tell and what I've seen, he's probably sort of coming to the end now or he's, you know, he's 30 years old and they just even looking him up now. I guess there's some questions about whether the Broncos are going to keep him around long-term. Did, I guess he didn't. Did he opt out last year? I guess he did. Because he, he didn't play last. He's not, he doesn't have any 2020 stats. And as I'm trying to remember, I think he opted out last year. It says uh, September, practice on September 8th, which would have been right before week one, suffered what was called a freak injury near the ankle, and it was feared that season-ending surgery was required, dislocated perineal tendon placed on IR. So well, he didn't opt out. He would have played, but he got, you know, got hurt right before week one. He missed the season the old-fashioned way. All right. And I also, before we leave 2015, so he had that great Super Bowl. The week before that, he also, in the NFC AFC Championship game against the Patriots, he had two and a half sacks against Brady and also had an interception in the game, too. So he had two and a half sacks in both games, in both the conference championship game and the Super Bowl, uh, and an interception in the one, the fumble in the other. Yeah, definitely a significant player, and yeah, I had I had him up in there too, in the, the top you know three or four people that on this fifty eight list. But you know, just think about that. His stats are only for nine seasons. He's got us a hundred and six sacks in nine seasons. That, that's really significant. That's like what twelve thirteen a season, and some of those are only partial seasons. Uh, like twenty thirteen, he only played nine games, but still had five sacks. You know, pretty good player. Absolutely. 
Okay, so I think we're all in agreement that he is uh, going to be the third person. I'm sorry, the, the fourth guy we're going to put on the list. And but possibly probably in the number three spot right behind uh, Thomas and Lambert, like you guys alluded to earlier. Okay, uh, do we have uh, anybody else we want to talk about next? The next guy I had was Wilbur Marshall, linebacker for the Bears uh, during the the Buddy Ryan heyday, won a Super Bowl with them, and then went to Washington for the tail end of his career. Uh, actually, not even the tail end of his career. He actually played on three other teams, the Jets, Cardinals, and Oilers and at the end of his career, but played on Washington for, I think, like five or six seasons. Won another Super Bowl with them in 91. Two-time All-Pro, two-time th- two-time All-Pro, two-time Super Bowl champion, three-time Pro Bowler. War 58 pretty much his whole career with the exception of one season with Arizona. So... He's definitely a step back, a step down from the other three linebackers, but he was the next one on my list. Yeah, I I think uh, this is what we were talking about earlier of, you know, their roles in a defense. So he he wasn't, you know, he's not a Von Miller that's a, a sack master or, you know, a Derek Thomas. But he is, you know, more of a, that thumper type linebacker, and he, you know, his tackles. He had, you know, 1,043 total tackles uh, in his career, uh, you know, combined with the others. Um, you know, only 67 solo, but that was only stat was only for his last two seasons that he played. So don't let that that fool you. Uh, the combination tackles. You know, anytime you're getting in the, the thousands, the four digits, that, that's somebody that's uh, hitting runners with the ball, and uh, that's always a good thing for a linebacker. Yeah, absolutely. And then just also, obviously, he wasn't one of the star players in terms of name recognition and sustainability years later. But being a significant cog in that 85 Bears team, a defense that has an aura all to its own. And I think part of that is because it was one year. I know they were good before and after, but they were only a, a championship team one year. You know, the 70 Steelers had a great defense. Lots of teams have had great defenses, but that Bears team was such like a singular team. And with Buddy Ryan and the 46, it was like, there's a mystique to it. That's hard to define, but being a key player, even if you're not Richard Dent or Mike Singletary, I feel like fair or not, that lends you a certain gravitas when we're talking about your career. Yeah. Now, maybe you guys can help me out here. Who was, so we had three linebackers. You had Singletary in the middle. You had Marshall on the right side. Who was their, their left outside linebacker? Do you, do you remember offhand? I'm, the name's escaping, but it was somebody else was pretty significant. And was, uh, was it Otis Wilson? I'm pulling up their depth chart. Now remember with the 40, be. it was a lot more fluid, but so, According to pro football reference, right? Here's what they have listed. I'm mean, I'll give you their whole defense as a, uh, according to pro football reference, what their depth, you know, their, their starting 11. So the, the front three was Dan Hampton, Steve McMichael, William Perry, the fridge, or excuse me, the front four was Hampton, McMichael, Perry, Dent. Then mm-hmm. uh, the linebackers they have listed were Otis Wilson, Mike Singletary, Wilbur Marshall, and then the secondary was Mike Richardson, Jackson, Dave Dewerson, and Gary uh, Fensick. So. Yeah, you were all, you were all over Otis Wilson, Dan. You nailing ahead. Everybody's got to have their skills, I guess. In my obscure <laughs> sports, <laughs> I'm were, in the right place, though. They were young too. That's 
that's insane to think that. I mean, they only had one guy who was over 30 in that defense. The starting. Yeah. You know, it's funny, and D- Darren, I apologize because I'm going to hijack your show for a minute here and, and make a point that is only half related to football. Them and the 86 Mets, you know, it's like you look at these teams and they were like, they were so dominant for one year. And then it's just now it's different with the 86 Mets because there were a lot of off the field issues. But 85 with the Bears and the following year with the Mets, you would have been able to, you wouldn't have been able to take a bet from somebody betting that those teams were not only never going to win another title, but never even be back in the title game. So I don't know, maybe Buddy Ryan was just that important to the team. And I, I mean, I'm, Peyton got old and McMahon was probably not a, a Super Bowl quarterback, but that is the most dominant single season probably by an NFL team, at least in my lifetime. I mean, I guess you could say the Patriots the year they went undefeated, but not only did they lose the Super Bowl, but they also, you know, they didn't, they didn't scare teams the way the 85 Bears did. Yeah, what was it? Their only loss to the 85 Bears was a Monday night game at Miami, who, you know, Miami had Dan Marino, but he, it, was, it was a good ball game. I remember watching that, and everybody was in shock when Miami beat them, and Miami had a pretty decent team. And Miami had – was that game in Miami? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was, it was right around – I think it was like the Monday after Thanksgiving because I remember – you know, I was still in high school, but I remember watching it. It was, it was the first day of uh, – of buck season up here. We were hunting and I was at my cousin's house watching. That's how I remember that game. It was and quite Miami, a surprise though. Miami, Miami obviously had the motivation, especially at home because that well, was you, their own record. They were protecting. You also got to remember Miami was the defending AFC champions. They almost got back to the Super Bowl. It's not like they were, you know, the, it's not like that was all they were playing for. They were a damn good team that year too. Well, well, right, but that, if I remember, there was a big point spread against them, though. They were, they were heavy underdogs in that game against the Bears. That's what I'm just saying. The dominance of the, bear and the Bears and the aura that the Bears had that season was uh, you know, tremendous. It, nobody really gave Miami and Dan Marino a chance, and that, that was disproven right away. <laughs> and I think their re- reputation, the Bears, I think it's also helped by the fact that they just they played such a horrible team in the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. you know, if they had had to play the Dolphins or even if they had had to play one of those Elway teams that the Giants and the Niners and the Skins had to play. But they just, I mean, they played a Patriot team that was, what, 9-7? and seven. I think they were the lowest seed in the AFC this year. And they just, back before the Super Bowl, I was going through and watching Super Bowl highlights. And one of the last ones I was able to get to was Super Bowl twenty. And you just look and you're like, how did anybody think this game was going to be even interesting? I don't think anybody did. By the way, they were eleven and five. They were better. They weren't nine and seven. Oh, they were—they were—they were that good, huh? Yeah. I knew they were the lowest seed or one of the lowest seeds because they all—they were like all three games. They won all three playoff games on the road. But okay, they were a little better than I thought. But the rest of my point stands. And then they didn't even start their best quarterback. Steve Grogan was probably their better quarterback, and they started Easton, who uh, came in for an injured Grogan, I think, during the middle of the year. So Easton's was- the only quarterback, only starting quarterback in, and I've told this story on our podcast before, but I just love it so much. Easton's the only starting quarterback in Super Bowl history to not complete a pass. He was like 0 6. And John Hanna, in his last game hall of fame you know guy who was considered you know hall of fame offensive guard guys who guy would be considered the best patriot of all time until brady came along john Hanna, after two or three series goes to the sideline and he says to one of the coaches he's talking about east and he said 
you can leave this guy in, but I'm not blocking for him. So that was, (laughs) there went Eason. (laughs) All right. Well, boy, we, we got off the track there a little bit, but it's some great football history we brought in there. It's not but, hard to see why most of our episodes are two hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's good stuff, though. It's great stuff, and I, I helped propagated that. But I, I think uh, Wilbur Marshall on our list? Yes. Consensus? Yeah. Okay. So that makes five for us. Uh, what direction do we want to go next? Uh, I'll throw a name. I actually had this guy above Marshall, but I think it's pretty close or whatever. I, the next guy I had on my list was Isaiah Robertson. Um, linebacker spent most of his career with the Rams, 71 to 78 had looks like four years at the end with the bills um, was a four time all pro from 73 to four time first team all pro from 73 to 76, right in a row there with those Rams teams, couple of uh, second team all pros on the other sides of those 71 and 77. So, you know, one of the best linebackers in the 1970s, obviously, you know, teams like the Cowboys and the Steelers and, and I guess the Raiders to an extent take up a lot of oxygen in the discussion about the seventies in the NFL. So you might not hear as much about a guy like, Isaiah Roberts. I know I didn't. Um, you might not hear as much about a guy like that, but it's hard to argue with these, uh, you know, with that string of dominance in terms of all pro selections, 25 interceptions in his career as well, um, and was also the defensive rookie of the year in 1971. Yeah, yeah he I was think- who I, I'm sorry, Darren, go ahead. No, go, no, go, please. I was just going to comment. Yeah, I agree with you. That's a, that's a good choice to, to pick there. Uh, please go ahead, Dan. I had him too. I can't claim to know too much about his career. You know, a couple Pro Bowls, a couple All Pro selections. Uh, he now this obviously doesn't necessarily just speak to him. Guy played in thirteen playoff games, so that's you know he he was obviously he was on some good teams, and I think I assume all those games were with the Rams. I don't think Buffalo. I played in one with Buffalo at the very end of his uh, end of his career. A few actually, no more than that, a couple seasons with Buffalo. Anyway. Um, yeah. Also, so, I think somebody had to win the West those years. You know what I mean? The NFC West. Yeah, it's a once good the early, well, once the early 70s 49ers teams went down, you know, you think, and it's like, who else would have been in that division at the time? The Niners, the Rams, they had those expansion teams or, you know, recent teams who were not going to be winning that division very much. So, you know, there was probably a lot of playoff games against Minnesota was sort of the same thing in the central for a lot of the seventies. It was like, somebody has got to win that division, you know, and obviously, so. Yeah. I don't know a lot about Robertson, but I think, uh, you know, we're definitely in a little bit of a drop off here and he's my, he was my next guy too. He was my six. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting though. You see, he, his last season with the Rams was 78. It was like, that's only like two seasons, uh, like two seasons later, the Rams made the Super Bowl. It was like a, it was one year. It was seventy nine actually. So he missed it, it by okay. a year. Yeah. So <laughs> interesting. So I he's he's freezing his butt off in Buffalo while his old team's going to the Super Bowl. He must have loved that. <laughs> I didn't realize this, but I'm I'm reading this on his Wikipedia page. He is. Uh, you've probably seen him in a very famous clip. Um, one of the more famous clips of Earl Campbell trucking a guy basically running him over with his uh you know head down uh was to uh robertson so you probably have seen a clip of him where he basically just gets run over by earl campbell doesn't diminish from his career but um some people 
get you know get remembered or without being remembered are often viewed i guess you could say there you go there you go <laughs> all right uh i think uh i think we're probably in agreement that he makes our list totally yeah. okay all right uh so that's six players uh so we still have a few more to go here uh where where do we want to head to next so i'll go next i had a little bit of a, a head versus heart thing here with my next two and what'd you say andrew I think I did too. I ended up going next with Jesse Tuggle, who was a linebacker for the Falcons in the eighties and nineties. I, he led the league in tackles a bunch of times. I have to be honest with you. I I know who Jesse Tuggle is. It's not an unfamiliar name for me, but I couldn't tell you a single thing about the career of Jesse Tuggle. I think any, any remembrance I have is just the fact that he played on that same defense with the Falcons in the nineties that Deion Sanders was a part of, but you know, five pro bowls. Um, he, he was not. And again, this is not me again. I don't know the man's career all that well, but it seems as if he was more of a, a run stopper because he didn't ever have his sack totals. When I say they're low, I mean, they're low. Like this is a guy who, as a linebacker a couple times started 16, all 16 games and didn't even have a single sack or he had one sack. His highest sack was three and a half. His, his career sack total is 21, which some of these other guys we've talked about had that in a season. So, you know, again, five pro bowls, uh, you know, solid player, you know, from what I can tell was a, was a run stopper above all else, but I put him, as my next guy, because I think that there weren't other, a lot of other guys with a bunch of league leading tackle seasons and a five pro bowl selections. Yeah. I think this says here he was the leading tackler of the 1990s. Um, yeah. I, I also, and I also, I guess I didn't put two and two together that he played long enough where he was on that team that went to the super bowl and mm. to, uh, lost to the Broncos. He played a couple years after that too. He was a pro bowler in 98 as well. Um, yeah, he's got his number 58 retired, which I guess we should also point out just given the subject of what we're talking about here. Um, you know, best players to wear the number. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of in your boat, Dan, where I, I know about Tuggle. I know he was a good player for a long time. Can't say I have any real specific memories of him or anything like that, but, um, you know, a prolific player, five Pro Bowls spanning like an eight-year period, um, made that one second-team All-Pro in 98. So um, certainly worthy of a spot on the list right around the middle of it. A few things that I'm looking up here that I just saw. Number one, he never considered leaving Atlanta, uh, which I think beloved, made him beloved to Atlanta-area fans, and that maybe accounts for part of the reason why his number was retired. Never made all pro first team. He was second team all pro just once in that 98 year when the team went to the Super Bowl. And at the time of his retirement, he held the NFL record for touchdowns via fumble recoveries with five. So, you know, kind of goes along with the whole run stopper thing. He was a guy who was in on a lot of tackles and able to recover some fumbles. Yeah. I mean, you, you, we talked about those those four seasons where he led the league in tackles. He had two years where he one year 183, another year 185, uh, 1989, 1993, where he did not lead the league in tackles. <laughs> That's an amazing thing right there when you have 180 and 
you're not making that list. So yeah, a good player. I remember him. I think he's a, a definitely a good choice uh, to, to be on that list also. So, no. okay. So I, I have a feeling, and, and I had flipped them. I had Tuggle as eight on my list, and I have a feeling when Dan said his head and his heart won out, um, I think we probably are both going in the same place. My heart won out, whereas his head won out. Number seven, I had Carl Banks, um, the famous or very, you know, prolific outside linebacker for the Giants, famously played on the opposite side from Lawrence Taylor from when he was drafted in, I believe his rookie year would have been 84 uh, on, you know, which made him a target of teams that were going to do everything they could to run away from Lawrence Taylor, to roll the quarterback out away from Lawrence Taylor and uh, Banks had to be, he was never going to be Lawrence Taylor, but he had to be a hell of a player on the other side to make that not just the default option every single time. Had a really good year in 1986 when they won the Super Bowl. Um, you know, was on the, the team as well in 1990 that won the Super Bowl, though he did battle some injuries, but um, really a, uh, a very, very good, and I feel like most Giants fans feel like a very underrated player probably because he did play opposite Lawrence Taylor and also at the beginning of his career with another Hall of Famer in the middle in Harry Carson. I should also note that he's the reason why we're here tonight. Um, Warren Rogan, who hosts uh, Sports Forgotten Heroes on the network, who I've actually been a fan of his podcast for the last couple of years. Great guy, does a great podcast. But he's also a Giant fan, and when I was first discussing this with Darren, I said, well, I can, can I do 11? He said, no, Warren has that. Can I do 56? No, Warren has that. Can I do 53? Carrie Carson? No, Warren has that. So then I started thinking of some other Giant-related numbers, and I was able to grab 89 uh, in, a, in a month or so down the road for Bavaro, and then I was like, I'll do 58, Carl Banks. So, and, and, and Warren was pissed about that, too. Well, he, he got Carson Taylor, Eli, and Sims, so he can, he can be pissed and deal with it. <laughs> um, but I, um, so banks is the reason why, why I, I took this one and that's why Andrew and I are here, but yeah, I mean, B banks and it's funny too. He's a guy and I know this doesn't really matter. He's stayed a part of the giants family. He's a color commentator on the radio broadcast and has been for the last 15 or so years. I, I think he's just a good man. He's a good guy. He knows football. He knows sports. He's on the all 1980s team for the NFL. I know that maybe doesn't mean too much, but you know, some of the other guys we talked about aren't on that. Wilbur Marshall's not on that team. So yeah, he's, he obviously is a guy who had the respect of his peers. He's not Lawrence Taylor. Obviously he's probably not even Harry Carson, but a very good player who deserved the respect that he gets. And I, you know, I had him too. Yeah. Had uh Nine, eight, six and a half sacks in 86, which again, when you consider that Lawrence Taylor on the other side at 20 and a half, um, is a pretty good number for the, for the other outside linebacker had nine sacks in 87, which was a strike year. And he still managed nine sacks, um, you know, career dipped a little after that in terms of sack numbers, but you know, had a really good year in 89. Um, he's another one. Cause you invoked Bavaro, He's another one where, as a Giant fan, there's those couple of years at the end where he's in a different uniform, and every now and then you'll see pictures of it, and it, it's bothersome. He <laughs> left the Giants after 92. 
in 94 and 95, he was with Cleveland, which that was when Belichick was there. You can kind of live with that as a giant fan, seeing him in a Browns uniform, no real rivalry there, at least not one that's been in effect since LBJ was in the white house. Um, but 92, or excuse me, in 93, he goes to Washington. So every now and then you'll still see pictures of him in a Washington uniform, just like you see Bavaro in an Eagles uniform. And it's just kind of tough to take, but, uh, yeah, definitely one of the, um, you know, one of the guys who's kind of endured through the years as the Giants radio announcer and does hits on the, the talk radio around town, like my brother was mentioning. He's a fixture at Nick Games and things like that. So, um, yeah, got to give my love to Carl Banks. All the love. Well, let me, just, let me just say this, though. As a, a fan of a team that's in the same division as the Browns, he was bothersome when he was a Brown to, to me. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was past his prime at that point. I doubt he did a whole lot then. Um, yeah, I mean, he had, I mean, he had 73 tackles in 94. Yeah. Um, actually, had a really good year with Washington. Had his second highest uh, tackle number in 93 with 102, second only to 86. But, um, you know, it, it, it's bad enough when guys leave at the end of their career, but then when they go to a rival, it's like, uh, I know it's a business, but I don't want to see pictures of him in that uniform, you know? And it's funny you talk about Bavaro – I didn't realize it as a kid. I was like 10 years old when all this was happening, but Banks, Pepper Johnson, Everson Walls, uh, even Bavaro, who was not even a defensive player. And you look at this and you were like, you know, I, again, I didn't even occur to me at the time, but all these guys were going to play for the Browns in their early nineties <laughs> after they left the Giants. Like why? That was because of Belichick. So didn't yeah, Joe no. Send up there too. I'm sorry. Didn't Joe Morris end up there too? Joe yeah. Morris was another one. The, the yeah. Parcells first, I'm sorry, Belichick's first year in Cleveland, 91. Joe Morris was on the Browns. Yeah, that's another see, one. He was an evil genius even back then with the Browns, see? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, I totally agree with you that, that Banks uh, makes our list. He, he was a, a great linebacker. And like you said, you know, if, even if LT's not on that team, he's probably a lot more prominent uh, on mm-hmm. that defense. But I mean, who can compare to LT? So, um, now I had another guy that I was sort of neck and neck with him, another linebacker, and I got to give this shout out for our, our Western New York friends, uh, Mike Stratton, who played uh, on those 1960s uh, Buffalo Bills teams. You know, another another guy, even though most of his stats were from the, the AFL, uh, you know, he, he had six Pro Bowls, uh, you know, three times as an All-Pro uh, won two championships in the AFL with the Bills. I think that was with the mid-60s when they won. Um, what do you have to say about uh, Mike Stratton? I had him too. I don't know a lot about the guy. I, in fact, I, I will have to admit, I don't know that I even was, was familiar with him before I started researching this, but he was the next 58 on my list. So, yeah, he, you know, I, I was impressed when I looked at his – I was impressed when I looked at his career. And it looks like he was a guy who, uh, who just, he just passed away about a year ago – passed away in March, 2020. So yeah, he was, he was definitely, he was next on my list. Yeah. I've had a lot of people, you know, that of course there's a lot of Bills fans here in in Erie. Um, And, you know, a lot of the old timers that remember that those AFL days, uh, you know, always speak highly of him. He's one of those uh, linebackers, you know, right up there with like Cornelius Bennett and, you know, which I, I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, they, they ranked him that high. And uh, 
as far as Bill's linebacker. So, and I'm looking here, he, in the 64 AFL title game, the bears were trailing the chargers and he made what they called the hit herd round the world. And uh, the chargers had, were leading seven zero, and uh, Stratton drove his shoulder into uh, San Diego running back Keith Lincoln's midsection, breaking his ribs and knocking him out of the game. And then the Bills shut out San Diego for the rest of the game and won 20 to seven and Stratton also, had an interception late in the first half uh, as the Bills were driving deep into – I'm sorry, as the Chargers were driving deep into Bills' territory. So it sounds like he made two plays in that 64 title game that helped the Bills win. And as mentioned, when you're talking about um, guys, you know, defensive players, linebackers before a certain time – winning and reputation are two of the biggest things. And it sounded like he had, based on what you just said, Darren, uh, about your friends in the Buffalo area. And based on what I just read, it sounds like he had, he had both of those in good measure. So definitely a, a guy worth remembering. Yeah. That's kind of interesting that uh, what you just read there said about a running back getting knocked out for, you know, an AFL team in the early, early mid sixties, especially the chargers. I think weren't they uh, Sid Gilman coached and really known for their passing game. It's uh, strange that the bills shut them, shut them down when they took out the running back. So that's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. I didn't even thought of that. Okay. Uh, so I, I think uh, we agree uh, Stratton on there as well as banks on our list. Definitely. Okay. So that takes us to nine. So, now things get a little etchy. We have one spot left, and uh, I don't know who wants to throw a name out there. I have a couple more names I could mention. One, uh, not technically active because he did retire just at the end of this past season, so he hasn't missed any time yet, but he is retired. And that's Thomas Davis. Uh, spent most of his career with Carolina the last couple of years with the Chargers and then with Washington. Um, three-time Pro Bowler, 2015, 2016, 2017, all pro in 2013 and 2015 first team in 2015 um was on that uh panthers team that went to the super bowl in 2015 that we talked about due to von doesn't have a ring due to von miller who we mentioned earlier um you know had a real long career what was 16 seasons it looks like um you know over 1200 tackles 18 forced fumbles, which is kind of a lot. It's basically like one a season, um, 13 interceptions as well. So just kind of a good, well-rounded player who was in the league a long time, was a solid player for a long time, um, you know, was on good teams, bad teams, and everywhere in between with Carolina. Um, obviously, you don't have really the chance yet to have historical uh you know, to have any sort of historical uh, insight on him because he just retired, but I figured I would throw his name out for consideration. I think that's a, that's a real good choice there. Uh, Dan, do you have anybody? I had a couple. Um, I had, actually I had three. One was uh, just to bring up one non linebacker because other than speedy, he's the only one, you know, we've, we've done all linebackers so far. I had a guy by the name of Jack Rudney. He was my last one. He was a center for the Chiefs. Uh, he looks like he got there the year after they won the, the Super Bowl in 69. So he got there in 70. Four-time. I, I have him on the team in 69. Really? Yeah. I mean, unless he was like – Wikipedia lists him as a, on the team in 69. Maybe he didn't play 
So maybe that's where you're looking at it, but it's list him as a Super Bowl champion. Oh, his football reference page has him not playing at all in 69, but um, he didn't play then. Yeah, so but who knows? Yeah, he definitely. I'm, I'm look, trying to look. When was he? He was drafted in the 69 draft, so he would have been on the team. Yeah, maybe he just didn't get in the game. That's interesting. So maybe he's got a ring. So, um, but he, he kind of took over the starting job, it looks like, in 70. Four Pro Bowlers for four years in a row in the mid 70s. And a guy who seems like he was, he was remarkably durable. He started every game at center in 72, 73, 74, 75, 77, 78. 79 and 81. So most years of his career, he missed none, missed no games or maybe one game. So just to kind of put in a plug for a, you know, a, a guy who was not a linebacker from the, and was from the modern era because speedy played at a time when, you know, receivers could wear any number they wanted. I had Peter Bulware, who was a more recent player, most, uh, most prominently as a linebacker, with the the first and Andrew and I have tried to um, try to block this out, but he was a linebacker with the 2000 Ravens team that beat the Giants in the Super Bowl in 2000. Relatively short career, he only played from '97 to '05, and that includes uh, one season, uh, the two, oh, in 2004, where he missed an entire season, but. Four Pro Bowls in a, I think what would be a, what would that be, a, a, an eight-year career, I believe. So not too bad. And then the third guy that I had on my list was Keena Turner, who was a linebacker for the 49ers in the 1980s and was on the team from 80 to 90, only ever played with the 49ers, only ever wa- made it to one Pro Bowl. But he is one of... I think it's five guys, either four or five guys who was on all four 49er teams uh, that won the Super Bowl. And it was Montana, Ronnie Lott, Keena Turner, I think a backup receiver by the name of Mike Wilson. And then there, there may have been a fifth. I I don't remember that specifically. I I could look it up here. Curious. So just based on the winning and the fact that he was a, a key part of four, you know, four Super Bowl championship teams throughout the decade of the 80s. Those were the three, I think, based on longevity and all else sort of being equal, I would probably make Rudney my 10th. My but um, I, I could go with, with any of those three or with Davis, who Andrew mentioned. I think they're all – I think they're probably thinking about it. It's probably either Rudney or Davis would be my my thought. And I, I guess, and if this is probably not a good enough reason, but if I would lean toward, and I had, I had Davis and Rudney both on my list, um, I would lean towards Davis just to sort of represent different eras. We got a lot of linebackers from the 70s in here or, you know, adjacent to that era. So maybe not a good enough reason, but if it was totally up to me, that would probably be my deciding factor for going with Davis. Oh, so you guys are going to sort of make me the tiebreaker, huh? So, I mean, I, I think those are two great players. You could say, you know, 10A, 10B if we wanted to. But um, I would I would probably almost lean towards Rudney a little bit. Um, and, and that's not taking anything away from Thomas. But uh, the years of service, though, too, you know, 15 seasons with Davis, that, that makes me – 
rethink this a little bit. Um, my, my thinking was similar to Andrew's, but different in that I liked having Rudnick because we had a guy, we had one more guy who wasn't a linebacker on there. That, that's true. That's a, good I, point. that's a good point. I like that too. Okay, let, uh, let's go with Rudnay then. How's that sound? So, yeah. Andrew, who did you not have on? Who was the guy you got? I, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't writing everybody else's down. Was it the guy from Buffalo? Mike Stratton. Mike Stratton. I, yeah, I, I, and again, I can't pretend there was any sound logic for that, but I, that's who I didn't have on there. But. but I mean, I guess one thing you could say is when it says that he was in the Pro Bowl, he was in the AFL, you know, All-Star game or whatever they, they call it, the AFL called it. I think they switched that uh, when they brought those statistics from the AFL in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Technically, it was an NFL, but you know, mm-hmm. still some great teams in, the, in that, as uh, you know, proven over time. Um, and, you know, and this this is amazing. There's some, you know, we just not named those. Uh, probably about, talk about twelve different guys here, and we didn't even talk about some some great players. Um, you know, like Carlos Dansby, who I was surprised never made a Pro Bowl. You know, you heard his name a lot uh, over the last couple of decades. A great player. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mike Hegman's another one that uh, I was, you know, but there's just that good of players. These, these 10 that we picked and the 11th and 12th ones that we talked about uh, just that good that um, kept guys like that from this list. Just to break in here um, to once again, digress the cornerback, Eric Wright was the fifth 49er who won all five, uh, won all four titles in case anybody was curious in, oh. in the 1980s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, so I, I mean, Great, great job on this list, guys. I appreciate the, the history you brought and uh, the insight on each one of these players. That, that was a great discussion. Um, so what do we have coming up on the uh, Hello Old Sports podcast that we can look forward to here for the, the month of July we're, we're entering? Maybe Andrew wants me to start with that because I'm so behind <laughs> in editing. Um. Yeah, I figured I'll let you take the lead here. Well, you know the running order of which ones you want to air next of the ones we have in the can. Mm. So I've already started editing, and I hope to have out soon. Uh, we did the last two episodes were on the Baltimore Orioles of the 90s uh, with Andrew's college roommate, Mike, and I thought those came out really well. One was sort of about kind of like a background, and we talked a lot about the opening of Camden Yards, and then we um, we did one more specifically on the team, and then I'm currently editing one on the Baltimore Orioles of the 1890s, who were sort of not only baseballs, but sports first dynasty. So, you know, John McGraw, the later the Giants manager, was one of the stars of that team. So that's next. And then I think after that, we're probably going to go with the MLB All-Star Game history. That one's recorded, and I'd like to get that out, uh, you know, in the next by the second week of July when they actually play the All-Star Game. And then we have uh, one coming up on 19. We also recorded this one on 1941 in sports, which is a lot of baseball, but also some horse racing, some boxing, and and even some NFL football, especially when you consider that there were NFL games being played uh, when the announcement was made that Pearl Harbor had been bombed. So those are the three that are in the can. And then the next one we're going to record which will you know come out you know some point over the summer it's a little different it's going to be we like our lists and we're going to do sort of a list of kind of the most memorable sports moments of the 21st century kind Mm. of if you were going to tell the story of sports in the 21st century what would be your sort of i don't know we have to figure out a number but you know a couple of dozen Mm -hmm. big moments you know everything from 
Barry Bonds breaking the home run record to uh, the Giants uh, beating the Pats in Super Bowl 42 to, you know, maybe even something, you know, one thing that I had on there that, you know, maybe you wouldn't think of right off the bat, you know, something like, you know, the, the death of Dale Earnhardt, you know, that type of thing, like, you know, something like that, just kind of, you know, telling the story of sports in, in the 21st century. So that's, what's coming up. We, we definitely, we have a bunch of other things. Um, Andrew had a really cool idea um, that we're definitely going to do at some point in the next couple of months with the, with the year. Did you want to, did you want to talk about that a little bit? They're about the teams. Yeah. The random team in year. Oh, I, I came up with this idea when I was sitting around a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, some of my favorite episodes are very focused, um, specific seasons, specific years, you know, a specific story. So I was thinking, and this kind of occurred to me because one time we did an episode on Tampa sports. It was one of our first episodes. And I was like, wow, who would have thought we could have talked that much about the Tampa Bay Bucks, like their history. So I said, as a recurring thing, we certainly want, wouldn't want to do this too often, but I said, we'll basically pick a year in the 20th century out of a hat or whatever we do. And then just of the three, we're, we won't do hockey because that'll be too rough because neither of us know a ton about hockey, but we'll basically randomly generate a year and then take all the professional basketball, baseball, and football teams from that year and randomly pick a team. So Perfect. it might not be a team that's it probably won't be a team that's got any historical significance. You know, if you end up with the 1975 Cleveland Browns and you're like, okay, well they went five and nine and, but it, it, it might be somebody's rookie year. It might be, I'm almost going to guarantee that in looking at this, we find enough for a 45 minute show. Some will be easier than others. It'll be funny if the first one we pick and it's like, Oh, we, pick the 85 bears but <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. but, but realistically you'll probably so again it wouldn't we're not going to do two and a half hours on a nondescript nba team that got a seven seed and lost in the first round of the playoffs don't don't say that because we'll end up doing it <clears throat> but i guarantee but so so again if we do it twice and it's like wow that was the uh that was like pushing sand uphill we won't do it again but i'm gonna <laughs> almost guarantee it's fun so, again, maybe every couple of months when we really feel like we're cu- grasping it at straws for show ideas, we can, go, we can always go back to that. We're not going to run out of years or teams for a very long time. Now, or, now how, what's the timing of that? Do you, like, draw the number, like, during your podcast and you're, you're doing it, or do you, like, draw it, like, uh, hey, we're drawing it this week, and two weeks from now we're doing the, the show. So you have some research time. You know, we're we hadn't talked research time. <laughs> we're going to need research time. Yeah, you know, it's not going to be like, no, but, but, but I hadn't, I hadn't even talked about this with Andrew yet, but I think what we may do is because we, we kind of schedule out our, what, what we're doing for our next several episodes, maybe the episode before at the end, we'll do it on the episode to just sort of add a little bit to the, there you go to the <laughs> drama of it. And then the only other thing that I would mention, and I've probably mentioned this when I've been on before, but, um, 2021 thankfully has moved a lot quicker than 2020 did. And we, one of the favorite, and I was actually even talking to a couple of the guys at the, at the PFRA convention about this, you know, this past weekend, one of the things that we really enjoyed doing last year, you know, and to say you enjoyed it is maybe a little bit morbid sounding, but it was, it was really interesting to do is when we did our in memoriam episode, when we episodes, when we talked about all of the people who had passed away 
in the world of sports in, you know, in 20, 2020, everybody from big ticket guys like Gail Sayers or Bob Gibson or Wes Unseld or to sort of smaller guys that you hadn't, you hadn't maybe heard of. Um, Warren Rogan came on to talk about Horace Clark, who was an obscure Yankee infielder from the 1960s. And e- even this year, you know, already in the list, we have some, some, some top, you know, really well-known legends, but then some also, some also not as well-known people. So I think what we want to do for this year is try and, and Darren was good enough to come on and Warren and us came on and, and even, you know, our dad came on and talked about Dick Allen from the Phillies. We'd like to sort of expand that even more next year, this year and have, you know, more, more listeners, more friends, more, uh, you know, SHN podcasters come on. So, you know, maybe, maybe you know, eat some of the folks that, that, you know, that I connected with at PFRA this year, you know, just anybody, you know, friends, family, whoever. So, you know, you know, you come on, it's not long. It's, you know, it's five, 10 minutes. Talk about somebody who, who passed away, who either meant something to you in your life or who, if you're a podcaster, maybe you've done a podcast on them or just somebody you're interested in, even if it's somebody from, you know, before your time. So just to kind of put out a little plug for that, because, you know, fall will be here before we know it and we'll be, we'll be starting to plan and record that. So hello, old sports at gmail.com. If you have anybody who, passed away in this year who who's somebody you're interested in talking about so you know we'd like to make that even sort of bigger and more you know more more interesting than it was last year so that that's just sort of the other episode that i would kind of put a plug out there for for you know start and record probably sometime around uh you know around thanksgiving yeah i mean i just want to add you know for the listeners that, that haven't listened to it, you know please go back and listen to that, that 2020 because it's uh it's really sort of a, a gives a lot of closure to the fans uh, of those those athletes. I, I think you guys did a fantastic job, and and everybody that uh, was on there help, helping you with that it just gave you know, gave great tribute and closure to, you know, what what they did as as a, an athlete in uh, the great history of sports. And uh, well done, and I applaud you guys for it. And I look forward to uh, you know hearing your tributes this year. So, well, great job. Well, and, uh, once again, guys, I want to thank you for your time. I, I know we have kept you on a little long here, but I appreciate it. And uh, talking about some good, great football history and some great sports history here at the end. And uh, we're going to be talking to you probably real soon here on the number 64. So I appreciate you you're coming on once again. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. Glad to do it. We're taking a peek over at the chains and the down marker. It's fourth and long. We're going to have to punt the ball and get on out of here, but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines, so be sure to tune in. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. Pigskindispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. 
Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.